Greetings, I'm John Duvall. Welcome back to another Truth Factor discussion. If you had just joined us before we officially started, we got to have a nice little conversation about controversial things. But important things. But right now, we're going to exercise wisdom and look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Continuing on our study of Ecclesiastes, we'll pick up in chapter 4 here in just a moment. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to say thank you. You can participate in our study, depending on where you're watching this. If it's on our YouTube channel, you can use the chat area. If it's on our Facebook page, then you can comment on this live video stream. And we'll monitor those. We'll definitely love to hear from you. Um, again, questions, comments, thoughts, send them our way and we'll bring them into the study. But let's go ahead and jump right into this. And... Um, let me go ahead and read the first three verses. We <clears throat> This is what we talked about last week. Pardon me. <coughs> and then we'll start then with verse four for our discussion. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there's power, <clears throat> but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive, yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun, or who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. <clears throat> Bear with me just a moment. Better than both is he who has never existed. Let's see. There we go. So with that being said, and like I said, we talked about this last week. We got to keep in mind that the writer here is, while what he writes seems to be very depressive, it is very, very depressed, I should say, when you think about life without God. And fundamentally, when you're striving for this and that, and then you come to the end of your life and you've not striven to, you've not, you haven't sought to serve God, <clears throat> then truly what is there for you at the end? So let's go ahead and pick up with verse four. And Brandon, not Brandon, Brendan, with an E, not with an A. Start there in verse four and read through verse eight, if you would. And let's kind of talk about this section here. Okay. We're reading from the English Standard Version. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there was no end to all his toil. And, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. That he never asks for whom? in my toiling and depriving myself of pleasure. This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Okay. <clears throat> All right, backing up here, Brendan, and looking at the section here, the little header in the translation that we're using on the screen there says vanity of selfish toil. When we look at this particular section there, here's what I found very interesting. And see, I want to get your thoughts on that, on this. He says, again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. He's about to talk about that. So is he kind of painting the picture here where the neighbor's looking on at the man who appears to be working hard, appears to be very skilled in what he does and laboring very hard, and the neighbor is envious of that. And then he's about to explain there's a problem with being envious of this individual's labors. What are your thoughts? It's keeping up with the Joneses and so much of at least our cultural context issue is envy of what everybody else is doing. Uh, social media has some great benefits, like we can broadcast a Bible study on YouTube and Facebook and people can join in. That's a good benefit. But social media is very curated. People only see what I want you to see. So you only see the good family photo, not the screaming toddler and the tantrum that was had two minutes before that photo was taken. Um, you see the vacation. 
that we're all on and not the uh, the marital spat that happened, you know, the day before we left and, you know, so forth. It, it's curated. And why do I say this? Social media is kind of designed and it, it amplifies this fear of missing out or the fear of missing something better. And it it's paralyzing. And we don't have the whole picture. And so much of the labor and toil and what we're doing in this country with our finances and our possessions, it's simply to keep up with an image that actually isn't real. Um, now, I gave some negative examples, but, you know, somebody gets the new house. We don't know the sacrifices they went through and how much how many pennies they saved in order to make that happen. We just see the new house and we feel like well, we need that instead of just accepting and being content with what we have. Um, you know, he goes further on, I jump a little ahead. Um, you know, we come back to that word vanity again, that, that the vapor, the, 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 the emptiness, you know, all this man's work and effort is because he's trying to keep up with an image that doesn't exist. And Solomon says, this is a, this is an empty pursuit and it's like trying to keep up with the wind or capture the wind you're never going to be satisfied and it's never going to have an end to it. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Yeah. I was, yeah, trying, John, I was looking at the dip. Oh, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, go ahead. No, no. no I, you want to say, yeah, I have some thoughts on it. If you want to say what you want to say first though. Well, it's kind of comparing, just kind of looking over the difference between the ESV and the new American standard or new King James version. And there's really not much difference other than maybe the layout. But anyway, go ahead, Tom. We've got a few more things in this area we'll, I want to talk about. Oh, oh, Let's yeah. see what you have to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, with the problems we have in society today, uh, you look through Ecclesiastes, you look through Proverbs, and so much of the Bible, and you can just see how this applies today. You know, I in, in these verses here, 4 through 8, I kind of see the idea of, of you. Solomon is just saying, you know, you can't win. No matter what you do, I, I actually I actually see three work groups that are mentioned here. In verse number four, I see the I see the man who is working hard, and uh, you know he's getting done what needs to be done. Uh, th this is the one who's responsible with everything that he does, and as a result of that, he has a little bit extra. Uh, I see the sloth, and then I see the workaholic. You know, I, I I see all three of them, and 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 it doesn't matter what category you're in. There's a problem. You know, you've got the one that he's doing his job and he's doing it properly, and and this is the one who ought to be respected. And I think that's the verse four. You know, every skillful man, he, uh, but he's envied. How many people today envy those who are out there working hard because they have a little more than what you uh, or or. Uh, you get to go on a vacation and I don't get to go on a vacation. Uh, never mind the fact that I've chosen not to work or or I've chosen to work as little as I can or I've I've got myself in debt up to my eyeballs where I can't afford to do that. And, and, and as a result of that, I'm going to be jealous of you because you have something that I don't have. So we, we've got that we got that envy issue today. Then you've got in verse five, the fool that folds his hand consumes his own flesh. I would describe this as the sloth. You know, this is the one who, you know, what's the use? Or, or he does as little as he can. And um, uh, and of course, you've got the contentment in verse six. But then you've also got um, verses seven and eight, where you've got the one that, you, you know, here you've got somebody, he's alone. You know, he doesn't have anybody, but yet he just works all the time. Maybe that's why he's alone, <laughs> you know, because because he's consumed with his job, but he just keeps working and working and he may amass this big amount of money, huge resources. But for who? But for what? Uh, as Solomon has said before, and he'll keep saying it, you know what? You're going to die, you know, and 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 uh, uh, who are you going to give it to? You know, uh, uh uh, what good is it going to do? All that you have amassed, you know, you know, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? Loses his own soul. So you got all three of them who are here, and and of course there that third one, you know, I think of Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, until his turnaround. Uh, 
you know that's that's kind of the way that he was as he as you you find him in there not satisfied and just every penny and a miser and so on but for what so anyways that's what i see solomon and again it goes back to the vanity of life if in this life only we have hope we are of all men most pitiable that's what that's what that's what paul said over in first corinthians 15 and verse 19 okay back to you john <laughs> Let's see, <clears throat> looking at a comment here real quick from Michael. Let's bring it in here. Michael says, the faithful soul is only content when that soul accepts God as the sustainer. All that man does for himself is vanity unless he is putting God first and is grateful for his sustained, for his being sustained by God. Uh, Michael offered a couple corrections there post um, his submission of this. But then it's a good point. The faithful soul is only content when that soul accepts God as the sustainer, not himself, not the world, not his job, but God as the sustainer. All that man does for himself is vanity unless he's putting God first and is grateful for God's sustainment of that individual. And he references Hebrews 13, five through six. And I think it's a very, very good point. Okay. All right, with that being said, what about verse 6 there? I don't want to try to get too much too okay. detailed on it, but it's fun for the discussion. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Tom, I kind of like his breakdown there of the uh, the workaholic and then the lazy man and then kind of the one in the middle there. And I'm wondering if the one in the middle is that guy with verse is verse 6. Better with a handful of quietness than to live your life trying to gain everything and toil for full fulfillment of all things. Just have yeah. what you need, what is necessary, be content with that mm -hmm. and enjoy your life there. Yeah. 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 Oh, and you could definitely, and I see verses four and six tied to that, to, to that, that one. Yeah. Then. Or you could actually say verse four, you know, he's talking about toil and skillful labor dealing with all of them. <laughs> You know the various approaches, but but yeah, you you got the one, and of course I can't help but when I look through this, I mean, the verse that just pops in my mind is First Timothy six, you know, First Timothy six six yeah. and following. You know, godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, yeah. We brought nothing into this world, and then those who desire to be rich fall into a snare, a trap, which drowns them. And you've got all of that. Uh, but it, then he it, does it, say, if they are rich, to help others. Yeah, 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 that's 17, verse to, 17. To make good use of that, yeah. Yeah, exactly, verse 17. Yeah, and and and, uh, and understanding all of this, it is not sinful to be prosperous. And, you know, that, yeah. uh, that, that that's a whole other point within itself. Uh, it is not sinful to be, pro it is not sinful to be wealthy, to be extremely wealthy. Uh, it's what's your attitude toward what you have. And how did you get it? In in our adult class last night, um, I was filling in for um, David, who currently teaches on Wednesday night. We were we were looking a little bit um, at the sin of mankind from the beginning, coming down to the days of Noah. God looked upon the ma the hearts of man and saw that his thoughts were evil continually. That is something we should always remember that when we talk about God's judgment of us, it begins with the heart. I know, I know our words and our actions will have to get account for, the, for them, but those things originate from our heart, you know? And so, you know, unless something expressly forbidden by scriptures and a lot of the things that are considered sinful, think about Galatians 5, 21 through 23, stem from, or 19 through 21, sorry, stems from something wrong with the heart, you know? And the fruits of the spirit come from a heart that is striving to serve God. And so I only say that to back up what you're saying there, Tom. If an individual desires to be rich and that's his full pursuit, his heart's already at the wrong starting point in serving God. Um, but <clears throat> if he works hard and makes that money, but serves the Lord and loves the Lord all along, puts him first, then that's, you know, that's what's most important. So. Yeah. And, and by the way, John, you know, in thinking about this, you also have to consider that we need those wealthy people. Well, sure. I, I mean, we really do. You know, I mean, so when you start begrudging those who have the resources, you just understand that we need those people. And I'm going to tell you right now, here in Bellflower, we are, we're a very small group. 
but we're blessed. Uh, we're and we're able to do some things because of those who have resources in our congregation. I'm not going to go into the details; don't need to. But but the point is, is uh, we need we need those people, and I think that was God's intent. You know, you know, all along you, you have the varying groups helping each other, complementing each other. Um, yeah. And I was told uh, you just to gotta avoid the sinful attitudes. Yeah. Years ago, I was told a story about a preacher. And it's been so long ago. It's one of those preacher stories may or may not be completely accurate, but it's embellished to sound good from the pulpit. But um, he, <laughs> that's right, fish this. Anyway, so <laughs> he was adamantly opposed to gambling, all sorts, buying lottery tickets, everything, understandably. But the complaint kind of was, but every time there was some sort of um, game going on at the grocery store, at McDonald's, anywhere like that, he would go and spend money there so that he could play the game, the scratch off, whatever it was and everything. And so the question was, is there a difference in attitude? You know, one greed could be pushing me to go gamble, but I can't because it's wrong. But since I'm not wagering any money, I could go and participate and buy all the Big Macs I want in hopes that I'll win a million dollars, you know? The motivation's the same on either side. So why is one more wrong than the other? You know, it comes down to the heart of the matter. God's going to judge that first, then everything else falls accordingly in accountability. Couple couple points on yours and Tom's discussion there. So I guess some truth factory moments on Ecclesiastes in general, what we've been talking mm-hmm. about. So Dave Ramsey points out, and, and I think the psychology and the science is there. Money doesn't do anything in that it's not going to make you happy and it's not going to make you miserable. It only reveals what you already are. And so if you have a heart that's greedy, um, it doesn't matter if you have $10 or $10 million. All that money is going to do is as much as much as you have, it's going to um, uh, I'm multiply there we go that's what i'm looking for multiply what you already are so there there's a reason why um you know you this is why contentment and the right mindset and just keeping yourself focused on your own business is so important to live the good life now which ecclesiastes there's some difficult spots absolutely you guys dealt with one last week so i didn't have to uh, you know, better is the person never born or the stillborn. Like, that's a difficult passage. Yeah. But when you look at the whole book of Ecclesiastes, it's really teaching us like, hey, this life is temporary. Live it with the mind that you are going to die and be judged. God is real. But also, as he said back in chapter 2 and verse 25, who can eat and uh, who can eat and who can have enjoyment without God? God has given these things to us in this life to enjoy. It is not wrong to have an abundance if we have the right attitude and and stewardship of those things. It is not wrong to rest from your labors or to enjoy the fruit of our labors. Um, now, you can abuse that. That's where the sin of sloth comes in. Um, it's not wrong to do any of those things if we have our priorities straight. And... There are some believers that are awful, awful cases to be made for Christianity because they are so fixed on eternity that they live miserably in the in the present. Jesus said in John 14, 15, I came that you may have joy and have it, exceed, have it more abundantly. Um, this isn't prosperity or health and wealth gospel. This is simply in Christ with God you are actually enabled to fully enjoy the, this life for what it is, a temporary experience that God has given us pleasures untold. Um, in my favorite book on Ecclesiastes, the writer made this point. Um, how, how do we know God wants us to enjoy life? He didn't have to give us 10,000 taste buds that can distinguish between sweet and salty and savory and sour and all that stuff, but he did. Chocolate mm. exists for a reason. Coffee exists for a reason. Uh, the idea to create chocolate cake and 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 cobbler exists for a reason because God wants us to enjoy 
the blessings of this life. So when we look here in chapter four, kind of tying things back, um, labor is good. Labor is very good. Um, very first thing God told Adam when he was finally made is like cultivate and keep the garden. You have a you have a mission and purpose to do here. Man needs to work. However, just like sloth is the abuse of rest, uh, excessive toil is the abuse of the goodness of labor. Because he goes on later to say, one person who has no other in verse seven, either son or brother, yet there's no end to his toil. He never asked for whom am I laboring? Um, working's good if it serves a greater purpose. Um, and if you're working to no end, to no purpose, it's vanity, Solomon says. Um, the, the, you know, since Tom Brown first, uh, first Timothy six, um, you know, the, the mature believer, uh, delights in the fact that they can labor and be abundant because that means they can help others who are not as uh, fortunate as they are or not in the same situation. Um, there are some congregations out there, as Tom brought up, that be, thanks to the generosity of one or two members, they're able to afford to do work that congregations of their size normally can't do. Um, so we need both. Um, but anyway, those are my thoughts. Well, let's yeah, bring and, in a and, comment. And, oh, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, I was gonna, we, we probably need to move on. Just two sound bites based upon what Brendan said. And I put, a, I put them in our chat. Uh, money is morally neutral. Understand that. Yeah. And, and number two, it's possible for, you know, a lazy person that envies the wealthy, more than likely he's greedy. You know, he has a greedy disposition about him. He's wanting more than what he's able to get on his own, or what he chooses to get on his own. So just, just two sound bites. Go ahead, John. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, comment from Danell. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. That's what Paul says. It's the love of mm -hmm. money that is evil, so we need our hearts to be right. Good point. Very, very good point. All right, well, let's go ahead and consider now this next section here real quick. Um, we've already read through it. We'll, we'll, we'll walk through it real quick. We have um, mm -hmm. Solomon then coming back saying, Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. And here is as it's described. There's one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there's no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Who do you think, or what type of person, I should say, do you think he's describing here? Uh, John, I, I think in this one here where he's talking about the one without companion, I think he's talking about the one that's just working, working and working and working, uh, uh, and it's just working to make money. And, you know, and, and yeah. no matter how much he makes, it's never enough. And I mean, and you might even have you might even describe this as someone that maybe he lost his family. You know, he lost his family because he loved his job so much. He loved money so much. Uh, he lost everything else as a result of that. And uh, to say, uh, for whom do I toll and deprive yeah. myself of good? Yeah. Implies yeah. there's I, I, no I, one I, there it, for him now. Yeah, exactly. Now the new King, the new King James says, but he never asks that. You know, oh, he that's never right. asks that. Right. Part. You know, so he's making the point there. He never asks himself, why do I keep why do I keep adding zeros to my bank account? You know, I don't have any family. All, all you know, it's just sitting there and I can't use it. I mean, uh, again, Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, when you, when you, when you watch the movie, that was the premise that he had in his life. He held on to things so tight. Or, or if you want to go the cartoon direction, uh, Scrooge McDuck, <laughs> you, 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 you remember that show, the picture of his vault? You know, and he's swimming in he's swimming in his coins. You know, so. well, what was and, interesting? And or, well, I was going to say what was interesting about the New King James version is, and he never asks. Those words are in italics, meaning they're supplied by the translators for clarity. So, Brendan, go go ahead. <clears throat> well, just real quick on that, New American mm -hmm. Standard has the same italicized, um, mm -hmm. but it um, New King James says no companion. 
New Americans there says there was a certain man without a without dependent, literally second, having neither son nor brother. So whether it's wife, kids, legal guardianship, whatever it is, there's no one. He has no one to support. Yeah. In either either way, and um, my point here was going to be, and I lost it, so I'm gonna make up a new one. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's sorry it's that. okay. Um, is you know. Before marriage, before that intimacy, before that covenant, um, God said to Adam, it's not good that man should live alone. Uh, Eve, before anyone, before anything else, first and foremost, was given to Adam as companion, as for community. Now, that yeah. came with marriage and everything. You're the only man and woman, all that stuff. And, okay, I got the thought back. Um, the... The sad thing of our age and the big irony is we are more connected than ever and we are the least connected generation because, again, we have the ability, but we're finding out the online, even video chatting is not the same as flesh and blood. And so you can labor, but it's going to drive you insane. And you're going to be a very lonely shell of a person. Um, and so, you know, whether it's be laboring, you know, in our labors, let's make sure somebody can benefit from them. Whether it's we applied James 1 at the end of the chapter there that maybe I'm the single person. Maybe Mar I don't ha maybe I have the gift of singleness, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Or maybe I've just made that choice or I'm not married yet whatever it may be. Okay, let's take the ending of James 1. If I'm laboring, let my labors be for the orphan and the widow. Um, Let my labors be for the brethren. Let my labors be for a, a just cause or whatever it may be. I have to have a greater purpose than just, just working because it's going to drive. I'm, I'm going to die inside. I mean, I really am. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there it is. <laughs> We've got two comments I want to bring in. Um, and in just a moment, verses nine through following kind of talks what you're kind of touches on what you're talking about, the benefit of being with others, you know, as we go further here. But let me bring in Michael Davis's comment, and then I'm going to bring in Andy's uh, question. So to start with there, starting with Michael's. Michael says, um, such a man, the one we're talking about here, ignores the good he could do for others and thereby show his prosperity comes from, and, and thereby would show that his prosperity comes from God because he's willing to help others and do good for others. And that's a good point. Good point. But let me bring in what um, Andy says. How about somebody who has a family who is stuck earning minimum wage so they have to always work and never see their families? You know, that is that is a real issue. Um, and, and I'm not going to be so, I guess, would the word contrite be? Say, well, just go get a better job making more money uh, so you don't have to work as hard. Because those things are not always an easy solution. And, you know, and I, I have known of men who would sometimes have to work two jobs, maybe three, in order to be able to provide for their families. My dad, years ago, he had to take a second job for a while before he got uh, an increase as a work as a mechanic. He ended up having to work part-time at Sears for a period of time. So he'd go from work in Atlanta to Sears and repair mowers and stuff like that. And it would make him later getting home. And even with that, you, it still, you still have to ask yourself what's most important. Not saying you quit working and stuff like that, but when you get time, when you get home with your family, you value your time with them. You know, if you have to work an 11 hour day and come home and you only have two hours with your family, make it the best two hours you possibly could have. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a very valid question. You know, someone who is stuck earning minimum wage, they're barely surviving with their family. They're having to work maybe even two jobs. Um, you really have, and sometimes I guess someone may ask the question, what's driving you? to do that well in this case it's not for your own selfish reasons you're working the extra time and the strength that you're working is for the benefit of your family you know <clears throat> and, 
and to that point, John, you know, the, it's it's a good question, but it is a mo- it is such a moving target, um, depending on family dynamics, abilities, uh, part of the country you live in, and you know, really, to and you handled it well, but you know, I, I think to try and give a cookie cutter answer, um, this isn't the place for that, because it it depends so much on the individual's um, yeah. abilities and uh, circumstances, but. There are solutions, you know, um, you know, whether working to find a different job, getting a second job for a season. Uh, that's important to know. It's it's for a season. Um, this is not a permanent solution. Um, you know, looking at budgetary things, what can you cut? What do you need to? Can the spouse temporarily work or whatever it may be? Um, but kind of what we we're talking about earlier, it comes down to what do you want? And are you willing to make the short-term sacrifices to get that, you know? Um, so. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there's a difference between the one that, that we're mentioning here. Uh, uh, if you're working to provide for your family, incidentally, you're doing what God told you to do. And so you're fulfilling your responsibilities. Uh, that, that's different from Ecclesiastes 4.8. You know, you, you've got you've got yeah. the one here who he that's not his situation, but but it's a good point to bring up. I, yeah. I mean, uh, and and we have to be sympathetic of that. And incidentally, that's why we need to be slow to judge. You know, you know, yes. you know, you know, you know, slow to judge when somebody is out there and uh, doing the two two or three jobs. They may be struggling to make ends meet, and you know what? Um, God bless you. <laughs> I mean, and and uh, yeah. you see your responsibilities there. Uh, I knew a preacher. those responsibilities. What? I knew a preacher years ago who had to quit preaching. Knew of a preacher, I should say, years ago who had to quit preaching for a season because of uh, health issues related to his voice. And so during that time, he went into secular work for however long it was, two or three years, and it was a struggle. But thankfully, he had some training to go back to. But here's the point. When he got back, when he was able to start preaching again, he had a different understanding for the brethren out there who are working 50, 60 hours a week. You know, this whole thing, yeah. well, just tell your job you can't come on when you, you can't work on Wednesday nights and come to church. You know, he, he realized that the struggle was much greater because he saw those struggles himself. Right. You know, yeah. and if, if someone goes from high school to college to get married, they start preaching. And you don't spend a period of time working some job that requires, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. It's really hard to relate, you know, and, and, and making the teachings from the pulpit relatable to the struggles that people have in striving to survive and serve the Lord. Yeah. I mean, it's why I know certain training programs will not take a young man to preach unless they've worked a number of years in secular work. Or, you know, they've, or if they have a degree, it can't be in Bible because right. if, if it doesn't work out, they can't fall back on anything. Right. You know, I, remember, yeah. I mean, I remember back in college, it, it's the reason why I had to quit my part time job, but I was basically preaching full time, student full time, and working part time to make ends meet. And there was one Sunday I'm driving back from Sweet Home, Oregon on I 5, and I'm nodding off at the wheel. I'm like, okay, something's, something's got to give. But, you know, it's, yeah, the point here, I think we're trying to make, it's just, each circumstance is different. There needs to be some empathy with the brethren. And especially for those of us who do preach full-time, who have that blessing of full support, um, we kind of need to be reminded of that um, yeah. from time to time. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, think of the, the, the preacher who's been a preacher all his life. That's all he's ever done. And uh, for the gospel meeting, he gets on to the person who has to work on Thursday night in the meeting. <laughs> you, you know, uh, and I know there's a whole lot more. Uh, there's more very like all of these. There's variables in this, but 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 the point is, is he doesn't understand the work environment. You know, you it's, know, it's almost what 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 it is. You know, I'm going to yeah. be here every night. By the way. I, I just happen to get paid to, to, to preach. And so, I mean, my job is with the church. So whatever the church is doing, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm, and, uh, you know, as opposed to the one that has to go out and provide for their family and so on. Yes. And, 
and uh, it's they're just absolutely exhausted as the week goes on. Even if, you know, think of the one that's there every night. You know, they've been working their forty-hour job, and so on. You know, I, I, I always thank brethren. You know, whether I'm preaching in a meeting or after a gospel meeting here, I thank the brethren for the efforts that they put forth to be there during the week because it's a sacrifice and a sacrifice that a full-time preacher sometimes doesn't understand or or doesn't get uh if he's not going to stop and think about it for a moment so yeah yeah it's it's that's why i would i, I i'll say that i had a preacher tell me when i first started preaching that he thinks every preacher should work in the secular world for a period of time before going into full-time preaching. Because that way you have two reasons. You have a better understanding, but also you have something to do if the brethren can't fully support you. Right. You know, Paul didn't throw a fit and say, well, you can't support me. Now I got to go out and make tents. You know, he did that with an attitude. This is what he was trained to do, I guess, what he could do. And he even told some churches, don't support me because I don't want to have to, I don't want to be accused of preaching something just because you paid me. I mean, that's kind of a bad paraphrase of it. Um, so, kind of sounds like know, Paul. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. But, but, but back to Andy's, Andy's question though. That's a very valid point. I mean, it is. Um, you, there, there is that balance and sometimes it's hard to find, but ultimately what's in the heart of that person? I love the Lord. I love my family. I want to provide for them and I'm going to do what I can provide for them, but provide for them in all areas as well. You know, and then if you can do better, find a better job, work two jobs. I mean, there's, but you got to start with good, with the right heart, I should say, in service to God and your, and your family, you know, right. Because right. Yeah. When, you know, the, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was like going to say, you know, because if not, you'll end up alone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, the two-year program that Joshua's in, preacher training program, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I, you know, I, 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 can I mention Randy Duvall by name? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's got a great last yeah, name. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, but, but anyways, Randy requires them to work in the morning. They go to work at five o'clock. And by the way, he has an arrangement with McDonald's and Subway. And, and, uh, and he requires them to work till about noon or so. And then they study in the afternoon. And there was there was a parent one time that asked, "Can can we just support our son? You know, uh, you know, we'll 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 take care of him. And we'll 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 pay his room and board and whatever all that is." Randy said, "No, <laughs> it, it, this this is a part of the program." And and what's interesting is that it, it was a job at McDonald's, so you're talking a minimum wage job. You know, and the point is, is being able, being willing to do whatever you have to do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to to help you so that you appreciate why you're preaching. Anyway, yeah. anyway, that's yeah. So. That no, that's a good point. I mean, he, he charged him room and board, a nominal amount. Yeah, yeah he it, didn't it, take it taught, advantage of them. No, and it takes it teaches good life lessons, yeah. um, because sometimes as a preacher, you're not guaranteed to be always fully supported. Yep. You know, and there have been a lot of preachers who have done decently. I say they their needs have been met through the years. They've supported well, but as they get older, they find it harder. They they find it more difficult to find congregations that can fully support them. And so, in their twilight years, they they find themselves struggling. You know, and it could be due to poor money management through the years and things of that nature. But um, yeah, I don't know what that has to do with what we're talking about, but it's it's somewhere there. <laughs> well, but, it's the work we've been dealing with work, so. Yeah, that's true. And some preachers could do the same thing that the ecclesiastical writer's talking about. Yeah. I have known of some preachers who were so into the local work that their family actually suffered. At times when they needed them there, they weren't there for them. Right. And you've got the preachers that envy other preachers because, you know, you, 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 you come straight out of a preacher training program and you expect to be recognized with the experience of you know, somebody that's been yeah. preaching for 50 years, you know, and, so you've got all, you've got the spectrum. Yeah. And again, back to the point of the contentment here, and I'm just going to throw this out there. Yep. Um, I know I'm the anomaly. I came out of a training program into an established congregation in two man yep. setup. 
Um, most guys my age, you know, got to pay your dues and right. work in a smaller congregation, and that's work your way up. Yeah, you know, that's just a better term. If, right, you, if you right. can call, if you can call working it up, yes. And you know, it, it's um. So, and Andy makes a good comment. I'm just going to bring that in. If somebody's preaching, Jesus is supposed to be the be first, though, and that's absolutely right. And we're talking about how some preachers lose that some get that all mixed up and that's because i well i'm gonna pull in first corinthians 7 why paul said during that current distress it's better not to take a wife because you're going to be so concerned about your wife and your family and everything else but there's a point here that as jesus said the laborer is worthy of his wages and you know for preachers at least you want to support them enough where ideally they don't have to worry about health insurance or paying the bills and they can support their families so they can focus totally on the work. Does that always happen? No. Um, should it? I don't know. I'm just the young guy here. <laughs> um, but you know, they're okay. Andy continues to go, go on. Um, this means if they neglect their families, they are doing what they're supposed to do for Jesus since they're supposed to love Jesus first, even if it means not being able to love anybody else. Well, that may seem that way, but, you know, if we just go, I'm just going to reference it. Galatians chapter 5 talks about how, now is it Ephesians 5? I get these two mixed up. Ephesians 5, how husbands are supposed to love their wives as Jesus loved the church. So there's to to serve Jesus first in all things. If you're married, that means you also have to love your wife and support her and the family. That That's included in putting Jesus first. So uh, those are in those commands. Anyway, um, we probably want to be moving on since uh, um, we are getting close to the hour and we've we've talked a lot about, well, more about preaching than about the text. At least I felt I have. So. <laughs> well, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do that. Tom, I'm going to have you, if you would jump in, because Brendan, you already read, right? Or did yeah. Tom read? Okay. Tom, go ahead and read verses 9 through 12. And let's bring those in here. Okay, all right. Okay, so um, uh, Solomon goes on and says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Okay. I think that kind of builds on what we were looking at earlier in the text about the man who is alone without a companion. Going back to verse 7 through 8, and then showing the benefit of one with the companion. What are your thoughts, Tom? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I remember that when Terry and I got married uh, over uh, 32, 33 years ago, uh, we had this verse read. We had my dad read this verse as a part of the wedding ceremony because I I appreciate the point. We need each other. And it's just a reminder that uh, we need each other. And and everybody needs some type of a companion. And, and then Solomon goes ahead and gives some reasons why some ex I might call it examples you know one falls down you got a companion to lift you up but if you fall down and you're alone you're in trouble you know you need help getting up from that standpoint the the, the warmth as it is mentioned there uh, one may overpower you take advantage of you you know I mean there's safety in numbers you hear that expression and and, and I love how he makes the point that while one can overpower two can stand up against the one. And then he said the threefold cord is not quickly broken. And the point he's obviously making there is, is if two is good, uh, you know, if you've got three people, that makes it even better. Uh, I love using this in a, in a wedding ceremony for the husband and wife, but obviously it's not just the husband and wife. And more than likely, Solomon's not specifically dealing with a husband and wife. Uh, in relationship. It's just a relationship that applies. But what I love about this, and even in the wedding situation, I like the idea of the threefold cord. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the marriage that is going to survive 
spiritually is the marriage that has three people in it, husband, wife, and God. And you can picture the triangle, which I I don't have a picture of, but, you know, God at the top, husband on one side, husband on one corner, wife on the other corner. And and the, the beautiful thing about that analogy is when all, when, when all have fellowship with one another the way that they ought to, you've got the relationship with God. The closer both of you are to God, the closer you will be to each other. And and if one's closer to God and the other one's not, you've got a weird triangle, but it's still a triangle. But there's more distance between the one that's closer to God and the one that's further away from God than if you're both together pushing. So anyways... Uh, I, I love this passage as that type of an emphasis. And and piggyback off of that, you know, I think if there's one takeaway from this section is remember the phrase, we, not me, that one of the keys to enjoying all that God has blessed us with is to enjoy it with others. Um, I talked about, you know, I, I love good food. Uh, <laughs> uh you know, a life motto has been life is too short to waste with bad friends and bad food. Um, you know, if I have a good meal, you can you can endure some bad conversation. You have some good conversation, you can endure a bad meal. But if you have a bad conversation and bad meal together, that just, that ruins the whole thing. Uh, but this section here, whether you're single, married, widowed, whatever it may be, you need people in your life. And to work to the neglect of relationships is a hurt to yourself. To not be a dependable friend is a hurt to yourself and to others. And to simply enjoy everything God has given us alone, you know, it, it's going to have diminishing returns. I think this, I think the Swedish have a proverb that a joy shared is a joy doubled and a sorrow shared is a sorrow halved. And that's, that's biblical. That's biblical. Um, to, to share the blessings amplifies the blessings. And I think to John's point, he's continuing on here, Solomon, and just as, you know, it's it's better to go at it two by two. I mean, even Jesus sent the disciples out two by two when they were doing evangelism to begin with. So one last point, um, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite stories about verse 11. um, Brother Floyd Thompson was in a meeting and he had to stay in this back guest room and it was a room they normally didn't turn the heat on. The vents were closed, and the host forgot to do that. Um, he sent one postcard home to Ruth, and all it said on it was Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 11. <laughs> Not the whole verse, just the reference. Um, and Ruth included that in that book on Floyd. says, And she didn't even quote it. She just, she just said, I'll let you find out what it says. So. <laughs> That's funny. Um. Taking Tom's thoughts on just a little bit further with the husband, wife, and God, and I think that's a good good illustration there. But let's bring even children into this. Because, you know, when he says he has neither son nor brother, yet there's no end to all his labor, going back to verse 8. And then we come down to here, think about, and three cold, threefold cord is not quickly broken. Back to Andy's question, the original question there. If a man is working to provide for his family, he has the support of his family, of the wife and the children. They recognize the sacrifices that he's trying to make for them because they know his love. And his love's not just seen in the sacrifice, but in the time that he spends with them. And um, the family unit holds together. But if the family unit feels like the dad is pursuing the job over them and ignoring them and forsaking them, then he's not going to have, they're not going to have his back so to speak. They're not going to have that support there for them. It's, it's, um, it, it all must be there together as a kind of a secondary thought to that too. And you know, you know, the difference between me and we, aside from the obvious alphabetical difference between the two, all right, when you have the W for we, think about something that can hold a lot. Hold the wife, kids, friends, companion. But when you turn that W upside down, you now have an M for the word me and that all dumps out and there's nothing left in there maybe illustration i don't know from a simple mind 
Anyway, well, I think that's probably sufficient oh, yeah, for it our was study. An illustration. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not it was a good illustration, you know, but yeah, yeah, I, I that's have what to you agree do. with it. I like it, but it was. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, um, John. Sorry. Go ahead. Wrap up. There's been a few, there's been a few times in preaching I've come up with an illustration on the spot while I was preaching. I think it would work great, and I'm done with that. And Rhonda says that made no sense at all, and she wasn't the only one. <laughs> so, but real quick, there's two additional comments. We missed one earlier from Mike in regards to our discussion about preachers. We need to be the kind of preacher that isn't afraid to make tents. While preaching is a profession, it is not the most common among the common who hear Christ gladly. It's a good point. Good point. And then later, in, in addition to what we're talking about, Mike says, additionally, the law of Moses said that everything was proven by two or three witnesses. How much better if is it is to labor with others than alone for the Lord? Coming back to our conversation about, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good, good comparison. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah exactly. And, and, you know, Mike, you know, if you know anything about Mike, uh, Mike worked as a school teacher all his life, and he just recently retired just a few years ago. And I think he's ne- he's now full-time preaching. But, I mean, he's yeah. made tents all his life. And if I understand correctly, he's, he's preached, you know, even while he was teaching and so on. He's just able to do more now because he's retired. But he yeah, appreciates people say preaching. People say preaching is not a real job and teaching would just be right yeah. above that, you know, so it's right. I'm kidding. I have high respect for teachers and I have sorry. I feel sorry for a lot of the class environments they have to teach in these days. But yeah, you know. exactly. So. Okay. Well, any other thoughts on that before we, we um, move um, or end the study for today? Nope. All right. So let me take a minute, remind everybody that we will pick up next Thursday with verse 13 of Ephesians chapter, Ephesians, Ecclesiastes chapter four, there in verse 13. If you'd like to contact us during the course of this week, you can do it through a couple of different means. You can send us an email, send it to questions at truthfactorlive.com. You can email us individually, as you'll see on the screen right there. Okay. John at Paul at etc. Truthfactor.com or even send a text message to 405-726-1179. We'd like to hear what you have to say about these matters. Maybe you agree with things that we've said. Maybe you don't agree with the things that we have said. Either way, we'd love to hear from you and to get your thoughts on the matter. But that's all for now. Thank you so much for joining us for our study today. Gentlemen, it's good to see all of you. Tom, I think, as you were saying, you might be in my neck of woods this weekend. So we'll hopefully yes. see you and your family on Sunday. So Yeah, exactly. And uh, and uh, I will not be with you all next week. As, as I guess yeah. most you know, my mom passed away and we're headed to her memorial. So Okay. So. All right. Well, we'll keep, we will keep you in our prayers. All righty. Y'all have a great week, and we'll see everyone again next Thursday, 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time, for another Truth Factor discussion. Hey, y'all have a great week. Bye-bye.